Mary Eileen Sarmenta was a 21-year-old University of the Philippines Los Baños senior, studying BS Agriculture with a major in Food and Nutrition for Large Animals. She has been described by her friends and people who knew her as beautiful, full of life, and a sweet, gentle ate or big sister. She was a good student and she took part in extracurricular activities such as writing for her school paper and dancing in a play co-produced by her sorority, Sigma Delta, with the UPLB Com Art Society. She would have graduated at the end of the academic year in 1994, but her life, sadly, was cut short on June 28, 1993. This is the story of Eileen Sarmenta's rape slay and Alan Gomez's murder a plot that was described in court as, quote, seemingly hatched in hell by ex-mayor Antonio Sanchez and his henchmen. Despite how the media has presented Eileen and Alan to the public, the two weren't in a romantic relationship, according to sources close to them. The two met at the College of Agriculture, where Alan was majoring in beef production. Alan was a member of the fraternity Upsilon Sigma Phi and he was described by friends as a funny guy. He and Eileen regularly hung out together, playing board games and card games, but he was never more than just her confidant. It all started when Eileen interviewed 44-year-old Antonio Sanchez for their school paper. Sanchez, who was mayor of Calawan Laguna back then, began to take interest in Eileen and according to police theory later on, he may have had her stalked for some time. This interest would eventually lead to Eileen's demise, and the following is the account of state witnesses Aurelio Centeno and Vicencio Malabanan who were Sanchez's aides back then. In the early morning of June 28, 1993, a Monday, Sanchez's henchmen began preparations for apprehending one Rodolfo Calva, alias Tisoy, a notorious gunrunner and drug pusher in the area. George Medialdea, then the deputy chief of the Philippine National Police in Calawan, together with Centeno who was driving an ambulance, went to different barangays or villages in Laguna to pick up other members of their team, namely Vicencio Malabanan, Zoilo Ama, Pepito Kawit, Baldwin Brion, and brothers Luis and Rogelio Corcolon. Once they were all complete, they headed to Los Baños, and along the way, Luis announced to the group that their real objective that night was to fetch a girl that their boss Sanchez had been longing for and to give her to him as a gift. To satisfy everyone else's curiosity, Luis guaranteed that, quote, her beauty will make your saliva drip. It was past 7pm when their group arrived at Eileen's school, UP Los Baños. They drove around in the ambulance looking for Eileen, but when their search inside the university proved to be fruitless, Luis ordered Centeno to go to the Agrix complex, a popular hangout spot for students. While Medialdea informed their boss via radio that they were already in the complex, everyone except for Centeno and Medialdea alighted from the ambulance to scour the area. Inside the Agrix complex was a restaurant called Cafe Amalia, and parked in front of it was a white van that had Alan and Eileen sitting up front. Armed with guns, the brothers Luis and Rogelio Corcolon took the two by fours and loaded them at the back of the van. Everyone else boarded the van as well, leaving Centeno and Medialdea in the ambulance, and both vehicles headed for Sanchez's rest house at Erais Farm in Barangay Corba. Once at the farm, the two captives, with their mouths gagged and their hands tied, were brought down from the van. They were all greeted by Sanchez, who was wearing jogging attire, and said, My children, what's the problem? 
To which Luis responded, Mayor, ito po yung regalo namin sa inyo. Ito po yung babae na matagal na po ninyong krusunada. Which translates to, Mayor, this is our gift to you, the girl you've been longing for. Sanchez remarked upon Eileen's beauty and then asked who Alan was. Medialdea explained that he was Eileen's companion and they brought him along para wala pong bulilyaso, or to avoid complications. The two captives were brought inside the rest house where Eileen was taken to Sanchez's room and abused for hours. Meanwhile, Alan was beaten up by Ama, Medialdea, and the Corcolan brothers and then thrown out of the rest house. Kawit joined in on the torture by striking Alan's diaphragm with the butt of an Armalite rifle, causing Alan to fall against a cement box. Brion thought the boy was already dead, but Kawit told him his death will come later. Centeno, throughout all of this, was at the adjacent rest house, watching TV with two of Sanchez's other aides, Edwin Cosico and Raul Alorico. At around 1am, Sanchez, wearing only a white polo shirt, emerged from his room and thanked Medialdea and Luis for the gift. He said he was done with Aileen and that she was all theirs. Then he asked his men what their plans were for Alan, to which Medialdea replied that they'll kill him for full measure. Aileen had been wearing an orange shirt, white shorts, and her favorite white sneakers. But when Luis and Medialdea dragged her out of the rest house, she had been stripped of her shorts. She was still gagged and bound, but her hair was disheveled and she was crying. Eileen and Alan were loaded again in the white van, which, together with the ambulance, was driven by Sanchez's henchmen back to Kalawan. In Barangay Imok, Centeno, while driving the ambulance and trailing behind, noticed the white van swaying from side to side. He heard a gunshot, after which the white van pulled over and out came Kawit, dragging Alan whose head was already drenched in blood. Kawit finished Alan off with a shot from his rifle, and the convoy continued. The group's next stop was a sugarcane field in Sitio Papotok, Kilometro 74 of Barangay Mabakan. Luis announced, Turbohin na rin natin ang tinurbo ni Boss, which meant it was finally their turn to feast on Eileen. The men held Eileen's hands and legs at the back of the van, and they took turns raping her. First, it was Luis, followed by Medialdea, Rogelio, Ama, Brion, and finally, Kawit. In between sobs and whimpers, Eileen pleaded for the torture to stop, but the men continued to ravage her. Only Centeno and Malabanan did not take part in the abuse. Kawit even invited Centeno to join them, but the latter refused as his conscience could not even bear seeing Eileen, who already appeared to be dead. After Kawit finished, Eileen, still crying, knelt on the seat of the van and pleaded for her life one last time. Unmoved, Luis gagged her, took his rifle, and shot her in the face. Moments later, they left the white van with Eileen's remains behind and boarded the ambulance to return to Kalawan. Centeno and Malabanan watched in dismay as the rapists, quote, savored the night's escapade to their sickening delight while they drove back to their respective homes. The next couple of days proved to be tense for the group as the high from the previous night's revelry had worn off and they realized they needed to deal with the bodies. So in the morning of June 29, Medialdea, being the deputy chief of PNP Kalawan, instructed Centeno, Malabanan, Ama, and Luis to conduct a bogus search operation in Barangay Imok where they had dumped Alan's body just hours earlier. Rogelio was assigned to do the same in Barangay Mabakan, where they had left the body of Eileen in the white van. 
After pretending to discover the bodies, the group radioed the PNP chief of Calawan, Major Caño, who ordered an officer to investigate the matter. Centeno then drove Malabanan, Luis, and Medialdea from Barangay Imok to Barangay Mabakan. Eileen's body at the back of the white van was as they had left her, with a gunshot wound on her face, a handkerchief stuffed inside her mouth, her t-shirt rolled up to reveal her breasts, and her panty rolled down on one of her feet. The medical legal report would later state that there was enough semen in Eileen's body that it could fill up a can of sardines. Medialdea, probably out of remorse for the desecration he and his men had done to her, covered Eileen's private parts by fixing her shirt and underwear and by covering her lower body with a sackcloth. The group escorted the van with the corpse to the UP Los Banos police station, where students positively identified the body as Eileen. Alan's body and the van with Eileen's body were then brought to the Calawan Municipal Hall. There, Centena noticed a prisoner named Arnold cleaning the van, possibly to remove incriminating evidence. Meanwhile, Malabanan, Ama, and Medialdea continued with their pretend investigation in Barangay Imok, retrieving an empty Armalite rifle shell which they handed to Major Caño back at the police station. By then, the discovery of Eileen and Alan's bodies had already come to the attention of the press, the NBI, and the PNP-CIS, or Criminal Investigation Service, which is now today CIDG, or Criminal Investigation and Detection Group. So, Medialdea and his group were left with no choice but to report this to Sanchez, who flared up at them for not handling the situation. Sanchez, however, gave them the assurance that he could Quote, fix the problem in less than the amount of a brand new car. To throw police off his and his men sent, Sanchez sent Major Caño a pair of white shorts which were allegedly the ones Eileen was wearing when she disappeared. According to Sanchez, the shorts were found by a card gambler near the National Highway in Barangay Balayhangin, but the police's suspicions were further aroused by this because Balayhangin was almost 5 kilometers from where Eileen's body was actually found. On June 30, 1993, Centeno went to Sanchez's house, worried that the authorities were already making the connection that he was the driver in the case. Sanchez gave Centeno 2,000 pesos and advised him to keep quiet or better yet, disappear for a while. Centeno did go into hiding, but CIS agents eventually caught him at the Divisoria Market in Manila just over a month later on August 10. Malabanan, Medialdea, and Ama, on the other hand, were apprehended to shed light on the cleaning of the white van. It was at this point that Centeno and Malabanan agreed to be state witnesses. On August 10, 1993, after Centeno was caught by the police, Sanchez received an anonymous call to get out of the country as he was going to be arrested three days later. Sanchez, however, did not heed this advice because he said he wasn't guilty. As if to show this to the public and to gain their sympathy, he would always be seen in the news praying or holding an image of the Virgin Mary, flaunting his devout Catholicism. On August 13, as the mysterious caller had said, Sanchez was arrested, but he and the rest of his men denied Centeno and Malabanan's allegations of their involvement in the murder of Eileen and Allen. On September 12, 1993, the court formally read the case against Antonio Sanchez, George Medialdea, Luis and Rogelio Corcolon, Zoilo Ama, Pepito Kawit, and Baldwin Brion. Everyone had their own alibis to place them far away from where the crimes were committed, despite the evidence found against them. 
A belt loop from the white shorts Eileen was wearing and a cigarette butt said to have been used to burn her were dug up in the Irais farm. Sanchez claimed that those were planted there to frame him and that he was actually at his mistress's house in Bay Laguna during the night of the crime. Medialdea said he was playing mahjong with his wife's friends that night. He and the others also disputed several points of Centeno's account, including the fact that they were supposedly able to rape Eileen inside the van which was too small for six men to do that in. Also, Centeno's story about Kawit hitting Alan in the diaphragm with the butt of an Armalite rifle did not match with the medical legal finding. Sanchez brought forth the results of his own investigation, pointing the finger at Teofilo Alqueza, more popularly known as Kit a Sangguniang Kabataan chairperson in Laguna and son of General Dictador Alqueza, who was a very influential personality in the area. Kit was Alan's fraternity brother, who would have had motive to kill Alan as the latter dated the former's girlfriend, Rose. According to Medialdea, Kit was even seen with bloody knuckles the day after the crime and there was a drop of blood on the middle of his right thigh. Kit, however, explained that the blood was from punching a wall and that he and Alan had already patched things up three months ago. Luis claimed that in the morning of June 29, Kit asked for his help in getting rid of Eileen's body, but the empty bullet shell recovered in Barangay Imok where Alan's body was found matched the gun registered to Luis, placing him and not Kit at the scene of the crime. The trial dragged on for months, during which Antonio Sanchez's life was dissected. He apparently lived an expensive and eccentric lifestyle with his love of imported perfumes and collagen skin treatments. There were reports that he was paying off people in power and the media so suspicion could be taken away from him. On March 11, 1995, 16 months after the trial started, Sanchez and his men were found guilty beyond reasonable doubt of the crime of rape with homicide on seven counts. They were ordered to pay 11.3 million pesos to the families of Eileen Sarmenta and Alan Gomez, and they were each sentenced to suffer the maximum penalty of seven terms of reclusion perpetua, or seven sentences of 40 years imprisonment. Upon hearing the verdict, Sanchez's calm and religious persona disappeared and a different side of him surfaced as he started raging and shouting expletives. A year later, Sanchez and three other men were convicted in a murder case they were already being tried for, for the deaths of Nelson Peñalosa and his son Rickson. Nelson Peñalosa was a political leader and an ally of Sanchez's political rival, Dr. Virvilio Velesina. On April 13, 1991, Sanchez's henchmen, which included Luis Corcolon and Vicencio Malabanan, ambushed the vehicle of the Peñalosas and from their own vehicle fired their rifles at the father and son. This case was brought to court in 1994, where Malabanan also testified as state witness. The regional trial court's decision was issued in December 1996 and affirmed by the Supreme Court in 1999. Sanchez and Luis were sentenced to two terms of reclusion perpetua, bringing their prison sentence up to a total of nine terms of 40 years each. In May 2013, during the presidency of Benigno Aquino III, Republic Act 10592 was enacted, which is a law that amends the provision in the revised penal code on good conduct of convicted prisoners and increased good conduct time allowance or GCTA. Basically, with this law, 
prisoners could get their sentences reduced for certain spans of time with good behavior, and the service of those sentences would be capped to a maximum of three times the harshest penalty, but in no case more than 40 years. This, however, did not apply to good conduct exhibited during time already served. So a petition was filed by the inmates of the new Belibid prison, demanding that the law be applied retroactively. In June 2019, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of this and ordered to, quote, recompute with reasonable dispatch the time allowances of inmates. With the sentences given for the rape slay of Eileen Sarmenta and Alan Gomez and the double murder of Nelson and Rickson Peñalosa, Antonio Sanchez has a total of nine terms of reclusion perpetua to serve in prison. Nine terms may seem like an exceedingly long time, but multiple sentences are actually served simultaneously, not one after the other. This means that Sanchez only has to serve a maximum of 40 years in prison, not nine terms multiplied by 40 years. Sanchez, who is 70 years old as of this recording, has already served 26 years of his prison sentence since his arrest in 1993. But according to the initial GCTA recomputation done by the Bureau of Corrections, he has in fact already served 49 years, exceeding the maximum time of 40 years and making him eligible for early release. When news of this spread on August 20, 2019, the public was naturally outraged. Public protests were made and an online petition was signed to demand that the government stop Sanchez's impending release. This caused the Bureau of Corrections to change their tune, saying that they'll need to evaluate Sanchez's records further. But is Antonio Sanchez actually eligible to the benefits of RA 10592's retroactive application? In 2006, Sanchez was found in possession of marijuana, and in 2010, 1.5 million pesos worth of shabu or meth was found stashed in one of the Virgin Mary statues inside a cell in the maximum security compound of the new Belibid prison. During a raid in 2015, his cell was discovered to have a refrigerator, air conditioning unit, and flat screen TV. These violations that show Sanchez is a recidivist or habitual criminal actually disqualify him from RA 10592. This was echoed by the palace in a statement they made on August 23, 2019, saying that President Duterte will not allow Sanchez to be released from prison as a beneficiary of RA 10592, emphasizing that the law excludes, quote, recidivists, habitual delinquents, escapees, and persons charged with heinous crimes from the benefit of its coverage. Despite this declaration though, the application of this provision is still being debated upon as to whether it applies only to preventive imprisonment and not GCTA, or it applies to both. Many Filipinos are of the opinion that those convicted of heinous crimes like Sanchez should not be given reduced sentences for good behavior. If Sanchez's sentence was to be reduced, however, the computation should only start after his last prison violation in 2015. For now, everyone, especially the families of Eileen Sarmenta and Alan Gomez, can at least breathe easy, knowing that Antonio Sanchez is still in prison. If there's anything the nation has learned from this, it's that authorities can sometimes make pronouncements prematurely or even incorrectly, like what they did with the possibility of Sanchez's early release. But vigilance and public pressure are powerful weapons in holding them accountable and making them re-evaluate their decisions for the greater good of the country.
To support Stories After Dark, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also suggest cases or send personal stories to storiesafterdarkph at gmail.com and become an official patron at patreon.com slash storiesafterdark. All of the links are in the episode description. Thank you for listening.